This is Radio Stockdale. Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest today is Dr. Joel Esposito. He is a professor in the Robotics and Control Engineering Department at the United States Naval Academy. He teaches courses in robotics, unmanned vehicles, artificial intelligence, and data science. He's the recipient of the Ralph Award for Excellence in Engineering Education. And in 2015, the class of 1951 Faculty Research Excellence Award. He received a master's degree and a Ph.D. from the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome, Dr. Joel Esposito. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be on. Well, it's great to have you here. We've been talking about the philosophical, ethical implications of artificial intelligence. And and I just realized as we're doing that, while it's important to talk about leadership, character, law, and ethics, it's also important to understand what AI is really all about. Not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but kind of break down, you know, the how this thing works. And that's what we're doing here. So let me just ask you, you know, we've heard a lot about ChatGPT and other generative AI technologies like BARD and, and, and others. A lot of discussion and how it's being used in education. But can you kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and talk exactly about what ChatGPT is all about and how it works? Sure. Right now, it's one of the most popular apps in the App Store. It's one of the most frequently visited websites. And as your listeners probably know, you can put in a prompt and it generates like almost superhuman quality, depending on the, the kind of people who's writing you're used to reading, um, but often better, better quality writing uh, than a, a lot of people do. And it's kind of uh, the, the chat in ChatGPT is because it's interactive. You can go back and kind of refine that output. So you can get an answer to an essay. It's taken the SAT and the MCAT and, and the bar exam and done well on those. And it's truly an amazing technology. It's actually passed the SAT and the bar exam, right? That's right. That's right. It's scored um, better than uh, the 90th percentile on the SAT and passed the bar exam and uh, 90th percentile on the MCAT. So it is it is really amazing, but it's, it's certainly not magic, right? It's important that we understand some of the technology behind it. So let's get to that. And that's what I guess we're going to soon call large language models. But before we get to that part of it, yeah, you've got this facility in ChatGPT specifically to be able to actually respond to a question. But there's a lot of other stuff out there in AI that can actually generate images and write music and that kind of stuff. That's right. So the, the landscape of AI is is massive and it's growing every day. So AI encompasses everything from, you might hear in the news, you know, uh, self-driving cars to uh, computer programs that play chess. Um, but ChatGPT is one type of what we call generative AI. And that would include things like programs that generate images like Dolly, uh, there's some newer ones that have come out that generate music, and specifically things like Bard and ChatGPT, they, they excel at generating textual responses to things. And they rely on something called a large language model, which is essentially a statistical model of, uh, in this case, the English language. So let's jump into LLMs. It's a model that actually tries to predict things, right? That's right. And it, it, it might sound like an intimidating term to say it's a statistical model of language, but I, I'd say that every one of your listeners has a model like this in, in, in their head. If you've ever watched 
you know, a show like Wheel of Fortune, you know, people try to guess letters to complete a word. And you could see it's very rare that someone would guess, say, Q or Z, because we all know they appear very infrequently in the English language, whereas a letter like E or S or T appears commonly. So that's an example of that. You have the statistical model. Uh, another example that I love to use with my class is if I just say this phrase, I, I bet every one of your listeners could easily complete it. If I say in case of inclement blank, what do you think the next word is? Makes sense to be weather. Exactly. So on this snowy day, I think that's uh, kind of a great example. But it's, 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 a, it's an example where you know when you hear the word inclement, 99.9% .9 of the time you expect the next word to be weather. So you have this model in your head that you've been you know, training your entire life as you read, as you listen to other people speak and so on. And that's exactly what ChatGPT does. Uh, another way you can think about it is if you, if you pull out your smartphone, if, if you have an iPhone and you start composing a text or an email, it'll, it'll try to auto-complete the next word. If you do that, if you accept its completion one word at a time, you can start to build up an entire, you know, paragraph or message there. And that's exactly what ChatGPT is doing behind the scenes. Okay, I got that part of it. I can figure out that next word, but ChatGPT can figure out the next thousand words. How does it do that? What are the what are the engineering feats behind being able to do that kind of thing? It's incredible. So in most AI programs, whether it be images or language or self-driving cars, you need what we call training data. So you have to feed into it examples. And in this case, the the the, the numbers are really staggering. Um, what they did to train this was uh, they fed in about 500 billion written words, which is incredible. Uh, to give you a sense of how many words that is, uh, all of Wikipedia, which was used to train ChatGPT, only encompasses 5 billion words. Most of the common digital books out there uh, uh, only account for about a billion words in the English language. And the rest of that 500 billion training words was kind of rounded out by the English language internet, which is a little over 4 billion available words on a data sets called Common Crawl. So these 500 billion words were fed into this program and it tries to kind of build uh, uh, like you might call it a frequency table or a histogram. It tries to say like every time I see the word inclement, 99% of the time the word weather follows that. But because of the size of this training set, um, it's able to capture much more nuanced relationships. In terms of computing time, uh, so this training data is then used to kind of adjust all these parameters. We call them weights. Uh, inside this AI model. If OpenAI, which is the company that developed this, had run this on a single laptop, it would have run for over 350 years to develop these relationships, to tease out these frequencies. Uh, now, of course, they used a cluster of 1,000 um, processors supplied by Microsoft, and, and they only took 30 days to train it instead of 350 years. But it does give you a sense of how much computing went into this. Tell me this, are we talking about the same intelligence of a human being who could be 355 years old and having read books, I guess, 24 by 7, right? Right. I mean, that's that's a way to think about it, right? It, it's not magic. Uh, if you think about this, if you read every book in the library and you had perfect recall like a computer and you spent 350 years kind of studying the language, you, you would be able to you know, just write beautiful, fluent prose about any topic too. 
Um, in fact, we're all told for probably from the time we're young, you know, if you want to be a good uh, writer, you, you should read a lot. And, and that's really exactly what this model has, has done. It's just able to do it at, a, at an amazing scale that, that, you know, us mere humans can't. So my understanding also, let's let's keep this thing going. I understand that uh, Google Alphabet, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, others just started finding caves to stick computers in because of the energy consumption, the heat generated by that. Oh, it's it, it, it's incredible. You know, it's it's we kind of take these things for granted. Sometimes when we see it on a computer screen, we type something to get something back, but the energy use is, is staggering. They estimated uh, consumed over a thousand megawatts to train this model and generated something over like 500 tons of CO2, which is like something like having like the amount of CO2 that 10 large SUVs would generate over their entire lifetime of use. Uh, there's a rumor that Microsoft, who, who really supplied the computing infrastructure, that their water bill went up by 35% because, as you said, cooling down these computers is, is incredibly uh, difficult. Uh, they use something on the order of 2,500 Olympic-sized swimming pools of water to cool this down. So, yeah, something like a cave or, or whatever is is just a naturally cool place. Um but yeah, we can't underestimate the, the energy consumption involved in these, this kind of technology. So I get all of these technology bits building these algorithms, but where does AI come in? Well, AI helps us address the, the size of this problem. So, so let me give you a couple, a couple numbers that could put this in perspective, right? I use the, the example of inclement weather, right? So that's a two-word phrase. Yeah, that happens to be a pretty unique one, okay? But in, in ChatGPT's vocabulary, it has about 50,000 words in the vocabulary. So if you think about that, the all possible two-word phrases is 50,000 squared. So that's 2.5 billion possible two-word phrases. It's a staggering number. That, that amount of data probably wouldn't fit in the, in the memory on your, on your laptop. But two-word phrases is not very impressive. If you go to every possible three-word phrase, if you have 50,000 words in the vocabulary, that's 125 trillion words. That's more words than there are on the English language internet. So what that means is it, it's impossible, even with all that staggering amount of training data, it's impossible to see every possible two-word phrase out there. So where the AI part of this comes in, it helps us or helps the algorithm reason about uh, patterns and relationships that it might not have observed before in the training data, right? An example of this might be if you want to learn to play chess or checkers, uh, it's you'll never see every possible configuration of the pieces on the board. At some point, you have to learn some general principles, right, that you can reason from. And that's what the AI really tries to do in this case. It tries to fill in um, the, the gaps in the data, as much data as we have, it doesn't cover all possible words and phrases in the English language. Let's jump into the AI just a little bit more, though, because, I mean, English is a pretty difficult language when you have, you know, words that sound alike or spell alike that, uh, that, that actually might mean something different. You know, how does, how does the AI help there? Right. It's in language. Human language is incredibly complicated in English, perhaps more so. Um, so I'd say there's about, you know, th three, three main problems that, that the people at OpenAI or the other developers of this have to address. And, and this kind of gets really under the hood of 
what's going on here. So the first thing is computers need a way to reason about words, to know that uh, two words are similar, that like, for example, inclement might mean something like bad, and then you could say bad weather. So in order to do that, as as I'm sure everybody knows, um, computers think in terms of numbers, right? So what they try to do is they try to learn some numerical descriptions of words. And I know that sounds like really weird, but think about like apples, for example. There's a lot of types of apples out there. It's Granny Smith and, and Golden Delicious and so on. But instead of using their names, imagine we came up with a couple numbers, like a rating of sweetness and tartness and crispness. And then we can use that to figure out like two apples are very similar in flavor. They might be a good substitution in a recipe or a couple are opposite. So ChatGPT did the same thing about all the words in the English language. It tried to learn numbers, but not just a single number. Like in this case, it turns out to be a lot of numbers, 12,000 numbers or dimensions of meaning of English words. And this enables it to reason in a certain way about word combinations it hasn't seen before, right? To know that two words might be synonyms or antonyms and then use that to construct reasonable sentences. That gets really tricky because in English we have things like you mentioned, like homophones. Uh, For example, the word ring has so many different meanings, right? It could mean a piece of jewelry. It could mean a boxing ring. It could mean a, a ring like a, a, you know, a crime ring, right? Um, there's so many different definitions that we have to capture. And all of that is based on the context of the words around it. So, so that's a pretty big undertaking right there is kind of distilling the whole dictionary into these kind of numerical descriptions of the words and their relationships. I'd say the, the second issue that, that really had to be solved, and this probably helps distinguish something like ChatGPT from some older versions is an issue called attention. And attention, it's a bit abstract, but it kind of means where in the sentence do you focus your attention when you look for meaning? So the easiest example might be to think about pronouns. If I say something like, the chicken crossed the road, it was hungry. To you and I, the word it, it certainly refers to the chicken and not the road. But it's very hard to to write that down as a rule to explain that to a computer, right? For example, there's no like fixed number of words you can look back in the sentence to know what it refers to. It kind of varies with the way the conversation's flowing and the way the paragraph's written, the style of the writer. So that that learning that is something that it teased out from all this uh, example data or text that it's written before or read before. So another great example of that would be like if you wanted to translate between two languages, which is something else that it's excellent at, right? If anyone's ever ever tried to translate from, say, Spanish to English, the better way to do it is to listen to the whole sentence of the Spanish speaker and then compose an equivalent English sentence. If you tried to do that one word at a time in sequence, it would sound very choppy. So, so this idea of attention, it gets to kind of like, what is the global meaning of these few sentences? And how do you make the writing look smooth and human-like and not just like a very robotic kind of writing? Joel, this is all great stuff. And there's a lot more to talk about from the technology and the underpinnings of what this stuff is all about. I'm going to go back and talk to you about what it means to be tart or crisp or even red, because at some point, 
that's subjectivity. And then we get into things like bias and other things that we as humans and culture actually affect. So what we'll do here is let's come back and talk about this in a follow-on episode if you're game. That sounds great. I'd love to do that. Well, Dr. Joel Esposito, I appreciate you kind of giving us a primer on large language models. And let's get back together again and talk about this stuff a little bit more. Thanks for joining us on Radio Stockdale. Thanks, Michael. I can't wait to come back. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 